Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa. Uh, and um, if you're looking at us on YouTube, you're wondering why I'm wearing a jacket today because I have a very special guest on today that I've been trying to get on for a long time. We just haven't been able to connect. Uh, we've been doing business together for a long, long time. That is uh, Scott Curtis from Raymond James. He's the president of their private client group. Um, that's what he is today. I've been working with him for for years in a couple other different roles, but I'm excited to have him. Scott, welcome to my show. Thank you, Frank. It's uh, great to be here with you, and I'm glad we finally are able to do this. Yeah, for sure. It's been uh, it's been it's been a, it's been a while, but busy you know busy guys have busy things to do, and so wanted to gotten to get you on. This is a great time. It's the beginning of the year, and so it's really timely. So thanks you for joining. Um, so we've worked together for for many years. Um, even before your current position. And so maybe just give my audience a little bit of a rundown and a history, uh, not a, not, you know, you don't have to go back to high school, um, but you know, maybe just your history with Raymond James. Cause I believe you're coming on almost 20 years now with the firm. Yeah, it'll be uh, 20 years this week, which I'm, I'm proud of and delighted. I made the move that I did 20 years ago. It's worked out really well. Uh, when I came to Raymond James, I was given an opportunity to be responsible for a number of product areas, the primary product areas that advisors utilize. And uh, not not long after that, a few years after that, the person who had been Dennis Zank's kind of right hand for managing Raymond James and Associates private client group, which is our employee uh, advisor option, he announced he was going to retire. Dennis asked me to join him take over a lot of his responsibilities. And so I did that for a number of years, working very closely with Dennis, effectively in a chief operating officer role. And then Dick Averett, who was known uh, to many in the industry, he announced he was going to retire as head of Raymond James Financial Services, which is our independent contractor division and our financial institutions division rolled into one. Dick announced he was going to retire. Paul Riley and Chet Helk, uh, asked me to take over or consider taking over the head of the independent advisor business, which I did. And uh, after having been in that role for about six years, a little over four and a half years ago, I was promoted into this role where I'm responsible for all of our affiliation options and uh, the support areas, the product areas, uh, educational resources, et cetera, that support our advisors and their clients. And uh it's uh, it's an organization where I'm I'm proud to come to work every day and proud of the organization that I'm a part of and that I represent uh, all the associates, uh, the advisors uh, when I go home at the end of every day. It's uh, it's really been a, a special treat. Uh, and, uh, you know, at this time of year, this is when uh, people wish they lived in Tampa Bay. The people who are up north, it's a nice place to live. Right, right. Um, other than if you're an Eagles fan and you're watching them play the play in the uh, conference championship. So um, yeah, <laughs> had to get that in there. Right. So, so yeah. go birds, go Eagles. So you mentioned that and I look started part of this is uh, Raymond James is a very well-known firm. We all, you know, a lot of us know it. We've been working with you for a long, long time, but there's a lot of people out there that may not understand what some of the things that you just said, right. Our independent channel, 
right? You know, you, you mentioned a couple of different channels, affiliations. Can you just give uh, our listeners just a, a snippet of what do you mean by that in terms of the types of affiliation options that someone might have if they're considering Raymond James? Yeah, well, and this is true now, Frank. This is true whether you're in the UK as a wealth manager, advisor with Raymond James, whether you're in Canada, or whether you're here in the US. We have an employee affiliation option, independent advisor affiliation option and in all of those jurisdictions. And what it means is that we will support you with the same set of resources, the same set of tools, technology tools, et cetera, regardless of how you choose to affiliate with us. So if you want to be an employee advisor working in a traditional branch, you can do that. We have those options. If you prefer to be an independent business owner, you can affiliate with us in that model as well. If you are an independent RIA running your own firm, you want to custody assets with us, you can do that as well. And we have uh, that's a very fast growing business that we have. Uh, and if you're part of a financial institution, whether it's a credit union or a bank, we have advisors, we have relationships with financial institutions all across the US. And we have advisors who choose to affiliate with us that in that way. So our position is we respect your independence as an advisor. You choose to affiliate with us however best suits your business. And as long as you're a client-first focused advisor, we're interested in having a conversation with you about whether we might be a good fit for your business. Right. I always say to advisors, uh, the Raymond James story is figure out if it's the right firm for you and then decide how you want to get paid. That's right. right? Yeah, that's good. And today we have, as you know, Frank, we have a little less than 8,000 advisors domestically here in the U.S., but right around that number. A little more than half are independent and a little less than half are employee. Right. So interestingly enough, that's uh, even though many people describe Raymond James as a regional firm, you're bigger than a couple of wirehouse firms that I know of. So, um, you know, congratulations. We're in all 50 states, Puerto Rico and Guam. Yeah. Yeah, That's another thing people don't realize that um, people are always shocked with. You have a very, very strong international exposure that people don't realize. So. When some people are getting out of the business, um, you are all getting into the business. And we've had some success with you with some of our international clients. So we, we appreciate it. Yeah. And as you know, Frank, too, we've been uh, we've been pretty selective in terms of which jurisdictions we're comfortable with advisors doing business. Yeah. So we we work collaboratively as a team to make sure that we're comfortable with the business. And if there are certain jurisdictions we're not comfortable with, we're very clear up front with the advisors about those where we're not comfortable. And then they have to decide whether they want to if they're interested in affiliating with Raymond James, do they want to keep those relationships or are they at a point in their career where they're okay exiting those relationships? And we leave that up to the advisors. Yeah, that's one of the things that I always like about Raymond James is your willingness to hear them out, your willingness to look at what makes good business sense and then make decisions, right? Um, And maybe they don't like the answer sometimes, but you always know where you stand with Raymond James, you know, because you don't want to waste time. You don't want to put, you know, you're trying to protect the advisor's practice as well as, as Raymond James's practice. So, um, so let's, can we just talk um, about the state of the, of the recruiting world as a whole, right? There was an article out recently about um, Raymond James still, you know, you know, sort of strong into the wind with recruiting uh, from your perspective and interest rates are rising or maybe they're going to come back down. There's people talking about, you know, going up, coming down, markets a little bit choppy. In your opinion, what do you see as the state of the recruiting world right now in terms of advisor movement? There are always advisors thinking about transitioning. Do I stay at my current firm? Do I do I transition? 
Do I want to go down the path of becoming an independent business owner if I am an employee? If I'm an independent business owner already, do I want to go, do I want to drop my FINRA registration and go independent RIA? Uh, those conversations are ongoing and uh, there's certainly a, what I would say is a lot of flavors of ice cream today in terms of which firms you could potentially affiliate with. But the truth is, and and statistics bear this out, for existing employee advisors, whether you're with a traditional national firm, whether you're with a regional firm, the majority of those advisors who transition, they stay in the employee model because that's the model they're used to and that's the model they prefer. I think Tiburon, Chip Rome's organization, as they've calculated it, it's, it's more than two-thirds who remain employee advisors. They just change firms uh, in any given year. But there is a percentage, a minority percentage, that decide to go independent. And uh, as mature as our business is, Frank, it's as fragmented or more fragmented than ever. Not as many broker-dealers today as there were 25, 30 years ago. But when you think about the RIAs, the independent RIAs, the PE-backed RIA aggregators, there are many choices out there. So for any given organization, I think when you're in conversation with an advisor where you, you'd have interest in potentially affiliating that advisor, you really have to talk about what distinguishes your organization relative to the others, and then let the advisor decide what makes the most sense for them. Right. And over the years when you've recruited advisors and the market gets a little bit choppy, do you find that the rate at which advisors make a move uh, increases? And have you seen their, do you see their success for, I'll call it capturing clients on the transition? Do you see that positive or, or negatively impacted based on the market that they're in when they're moving? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, if we look back, Frank, at the data, it, it really doesn't matter. The market environment is not a factor in whether a client decides to remain with their advisor or not. So if an advisor chooses to move and the advisor has really good relationships with their clients, the clients will follow that advisor. So it doesn't matter if markets are up or markets are down. If the advisor is doing a good job for their clients and the clients have a high level of confidence in that advisor, the clients are high, high, high probability the clients are going to move with the advisor, regardless of market environment. Now, one of the trends that we've seen over the years with advisors, when markets get choppy, we have historically seen a higher level of interest in the employee model than in the independent model. When everything's rosy, like we experienced prior to, I would say, last year, for a long period of years, equity markets go up and up and up and up we see more interest in the independent advisor space. Now, when I say more, I mean relative to a normal, uh, a normalized uh, environment, whatever that normalized environment might be. So we always have interest in the independent space. We always have interest in the employee space. When things get a little choppy, I think advisors might consider if they're employee advisors, do I really wanna take on those expenses of running my own business if it's unclear where markets are going to go, whereas that seems like an easier decision if markets are only going up and everything looks rosy, of course I can take on that responsibility and take on that liability. Look how much much my uh, uh, business valuation will, will improve. Look how much my payout will go up. 
But as we know, markets go up and they go down. And uh, it's, it's the business model that needs to suit the advisor for more than just a couple of years. It needs to be for the longer term that the advisors need to be thinking about. And uh, we have the resources to support both. And frankly, we're somewhat indifferent. We just are more, mostly interested in the higher quality advisors, as I mentioned before. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you saw a disparity between uh, independence and W-2, which you, you sort of answered. And I'll get into this other this other uh, particular point about recruiting quality advisors, because I think that um, there's there's always a lot of press on the types of advisors you, you're bringing on on a consistent basis. So I'm going to get to that in a second. But within Raymond James, are you seeing that the same or or does it pick up or does it not change uh, with advisors being able to move from one channel to another channel? Meaning if in that environment there's a choppy market and an advisor wants to be a Raymond James and they really want to be independent, but maybe not right now, you know, have you seen advisors go to the to the RJA side? So that's the W two side for everybody that is listening. RJA, Raymond James and Associates, and then sort of say, "Hey, let me let the market settle down, and then I'll transition over to independence." Almost like a like a lily pad approach. Yeah, I I um, consistent with what I what I said a minute ago. When when markets are choppy, um, worse than they are right now. I mean, I would say right now markets have come down, but I don't know if I would describe the current environment as choppy. I would describe it as uncertain. Yeah, I wouldn't either. It's like a ripple, yeah. maybe. Yeah, it's uncertain right now. Um, but f- let's find a time, though, when markets are not uncertain. They're always uncertain. If advisors are seriously, if they're employee advisors today, W-2 advisor today, seriously considering becoming an independent business owner, or they have others on their team, which is often what we, we find, the younger advisors on their team, the people who will become the successors, those tend to be the advisors who are more interested in exploring exploring independence than the advisor who maybe has been at it for 35 or 40 years and is used to the employee model walking into a branch. They don't have to worry about the technology or the office space or the lease or anything else. It's the younger advisors who tend to push a little bit more toward independence, but not in all cases, but we see that certainly more often than uh, somebody who's been an employee advisor for 40 years and says, hey, I think I want to be an independent business owner now. That just doesn't happen that frequently. Yeah, they just don't have the runway to make the economics work on, you know, sort of candidly taking up the big upfront check uh, versus the higher payouts and and candidly better payouts and ec- economics over time. So I for sure see that. But let me just talk about um, your success, you, you know, your success, but and we've had a lot of success together, but Raymond James' success that's constantly posted. How are you able to maintain this consistent success of quality teams, you know, multi-million dollar teams, quality firms. Um, how are you able to continue to uh, be at the top of the list in terms of, you know, year after year, having some of the best hires, not, not just the number of hires, right, but the size and quality of those hires. How is it that Raymond James, across the board, has been able to do that on a consistent basis? Like, what's the special sauce, if you can give us that? But I know you won't, but that's okay. I love the question, Frank. It it, it starts with our philosophy and our values as an organization, which begins with client first. Uh, do what's right for clients first. And from from my perspective as the head of the private client group, 
advisors are my clients. And uh, for all the rest of the folks on the senior leadership team and on the leadership team, advisors are our clients and we, we try to treat them as our clients. Without them, we don't have any end clients. And we also respect that the end clients are the clients of the advisors as much as they're the clients of the firm. They're first the clients of the advisors. So we don't ever overstep and insert the firm in between the clients and the advisors. They're, they're, the, uh, they're the clients of the advisor, and, and we stand true to that. We also stay, stay focused on the long term, and we don't try to make adjustments for the next six-month period or the next 12-month period that we might have to undo in six months or undo in 12 months. We, we think long-term about the decisions that we make today will probably impact our business three years from now, five years from now, as much as it might be next year where there's an impact. So, uh, and we tend to take a more conservative view. So when you combine all those things together, uh, as you and I have talked about, they add up to what results in what we call Raymond James culture, which is a little bit unique as we understand and talking with other advisors in terms of how we manage. We have all the resources to compete with the very largest firms, support the advisors so that they can deliver the best experience, the most efficient experience possible for their clients, run their businesses efficiently and effectively, uh, making sure they're on the right side of all the regulatory boundaries. And we do those things day in, day out. And uh, if we do that and we deliver a satisfactory, uh, more than satisfactory experience for the financial advisors, the advisors will stay, they will tell their friends, and hopefully their friends are just as high quality as they are. And uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to have a conversation with those advisors. And the, the, as you know, the door is open for any advisor who chooses to no longer associate with Raymond James or be affiliated with Raymond James. If they choose to leave, we will not go after their clients. We'll actually assist them with wherever they want to go, provided there hasn't been wrongdoing. Uh, they haven't they haven't broken any regulations. They haven't broken any rules. We will respect their decision and uh, and wish them well. And and what we've seen is uh, over time, a number of those advisors who've chosen to leave have come back because they want to get back to that environment that they uh, appreciated previously and the resources and and uh, capabilities that we have to support them and their clients. Yeah, I think that um, it's been it's something that is hard to you hard to recreate especially overnight. What I found with my experience working with clients with Raymond James, you take a very methodical approach to hiring. Um, there are some firms that sort of, I call it chasing the rabbit, uh, where they throw out deals, you know, like right. just, you know, like it's candy and they change on a whim and all that other stuff. And, um, and then maybe they regret some of those deals down the road. Maybe they're getting advisors that are good people and, you know, they have a decent practice, but not joining for the right reason. And so it is, you can see it in your numbers in your low, um, what I call regrettable attrition rate, right? It's probably, it's always been less than 2%. I don't know if it's, if it's. It's actually less than 1%. Right. Yeah. So it's gotten even better, right? Um, right. Uh, so what we call regrettable attrition Right is 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 advisors that leave that didn't retire, unfortunately pass away. It's it, it's producers that chose to go to another firm. That's right. But that's a, that's a number that most firms can't brag about. That to me is probably the best barometer, the best indicator of how are we doing. 
uh, how are we doing for the advisors is that regrettable attrition number is consistently less than 1%. That just brings up actually something, and I wasn't necessarily uh, planning on asking this question, but can you talk a little bit about, we get calls all the time from advisors that want to buy practices, right? And they want to know, well, what's the best firm to go to if I want to buy practices? I want to make that part of my business model. And I'm going to talk about Raymond James, but tell the audience about the, the um, I'll call it the service unit, the group that you have that really specializes in this, because it, it's not that it's not that other firms don't have these groups, but I think yours has had, from from my perspective, some of the most uh, the best success that I've seen in the industry. I'm glad you brought it up. We have a team of associates who are dedicated to succession planning and practice acquisitions. And that's what they do every day, all day long, is working very closely with advisors for a couple of reasons. One, to make sure that advisors have catastrophic agreements in place in case something terrible, something tragic happens to them, that their beneficiaries and their loved ones are taken care of from a financial perspective if something tragic were to happen. Uh, And then secondarily, making sure that those clients of that advisor are taken care of and that the clients understand if something were to happen to, let's say it's it's me, I'm the advisor, if something were to happen to Scott, what happens to us? Who takes care of us if something bad happens to Scott? And uh, that's a very good conversation between an advisor and their clients is to say, hey, if something were ever to happen to me, here's what's going to happen to you and, and your relationship and you'll be in very good hands. So from a retention and a stability standpoint, uh, I think that's beneficial as well. Now, on the practice acquisition side, as you know, there are at least 20 acquirers for every practice that's potentially for sale, and not everyone's a good fit. So it goes far beyond the dollars, far beyond the dollar price of that business for philosophically, are we aligned about how we run the business? And to me, that's the most important gauge of whether an acquisition or a practice combination will ultimately be successful. For someone who is, for example, I'll use an extreme here, an individual stock trader, and they've been doing that for many, many years, and that's what their clients value. To go from that to someone who manages discretionary models that's not going to be a good fit for the clients. And the likelihood of maintaining those clients is not going to be high. So part of what that succession planning and acquisitions group does at Raymond James is help marry or partner those advisors with like practices. If someone expresses they're interested in perhaps identifying a successor, we'll try to put them in touch with uh, a few, potentially a few practices that are managed similarly, maybe they're within the same geographic vicinity, maybe they're not. Uh, and that's that's another one that is a factor that the advisor who is interested in selling their business has to think about is how important is it that someone is geographically within perhaps not a, not a long drive away from where my office is. But we have some advisors who maybe started in Michigan and now they have a branch in Florida They have a branch in Texas because of acquisitions that they did, and they have people on their staff who work out of those offices, and it's worked out quite well. It's not to say that that's uh, every advisor's preference, but we certainly have multiple examples of it where it has worked, and it's, uh, as I said, it's worked well. 
So if you're an advisor, how do you, you put your hand up, you fill out a form. How does that, your team know that there's an advisor that is one for sale uh, and two, here's the 20, 20. I think you're being generous by saying 20. I mean, not generous, but I think you're tempering the downs probably more like 50. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it could be forty to one. Oh, it's, um, it's uh, crazy. How does that work? Is it a is it a website you go to or? Yeah, last year we introduced a uh, last year we introduced a website. It's an intranet for advisors who are interested in potentially identifying a successor and for potential successors to at least post their profile. Now, this is not eBay. It's not an auction site. It's not a dating site where you can see every profile. This is completely controlled by the seller. The seller can review the profiles and decide which of those advisors do they want to potentially reach out to uh, and connect with. So we did not want a free-for-all. We wanted it to help facilitate conversations and help those people who are interested in in selling their business or identifying a successor to be able to at least initiate conversations with people who are a potential. It's a fair amount of work on the part of the advisor who's interested in identifying a successor uh, because not to say you have to kiss a lot of frogs or kiss a lot of toads, you, you, you don't, but you have to really think about what is most important to you. You may have a team of people who have supported you and supported your business but you don't believe that they're going to be capable as your successor. So you want to bring somebody in. Well, are the, is that person or is that team that is going to potentially acquire your business, are they interested in longer term keeping the people on your team in those roles and uh, or giving them growth opportunities so they have career potential? For some, that's been very important, critical to identifying their successor. And for others, Whoever the lead advisor is, they may have people on their team who are also close to retirement, and maybe they're going to, uh, I'm going to say, cash out together and and ride off into the sunset uh, at almost the same time. We've seen those circumstances as well. So, But that succession planning team, I think, is really, it's been critical for us. We established this group many years ago, and it's uh, it's today larger than what we started with. We started with four, and uh, now it's well up over 10. And uh, they're they're very gainfully occupied, I would say. And they work with your finance team to help uh, create the valuation of the practice that's being acquired and then help providing some level of capital uh, for the purchase, I would assume. Yeah. And ultimately, ultimately, it's the the selling price is between the buyer and the seller. So we we will assist with providing a valuation. We encourage them to get third party valuations as well to understand what's out there in the marketplace. And ultimately though, they decide and we help facilitate, uh, we're not in a position to determine the price that's paid. That's that's not our role. Uh, we just give them guidance. And then ultimately we can assist pretty substantially with financing the practice, uh, if not entirely financing the practice for someone who wants to acquire. Awesome. Hey, so in, in the interest of time, I want to shift gears for a second. I want to try to um, I want to try to get in your head. Um, you know, it, it's not often that you get senior leadership from a firm like Raymond James on here. So I want to just pick your brain a little bit about sort of the industry as a whole uh, from an advisor's perspective. So the first question I really want to ask you, so if you're if you're a practitioner right now, right, and you, and you run a good practice and you have your team, you know, from your perspective, what are the two or three things that you would be doing right now as we start 2023 uh, for your business? Like, 
I forget about succession planning and all that stuff, but as a practitioner, what are you focusing on? Yeah, well, the, the conversations that we're having with uh, advisors affiliated with Raymond James is, number one, thinking about efficiency. How can you expand your capacity to do more? How can you make processes that exist today in your business more efficient, leveraging the tools, resources that we provide, or even utilizing some third-party tools that are out there that uh, maybe are not directly provided by Raymond James? We have a number of those that are available. And then also, how do you deepen existing client relationships? What are the resources, capabilities of the firm that you have not utilized that you should understand and at least think about where might that be applicable to my existing clients? Or are there clients out there we're not reaching because we've not made that a part of our practice? And uh, whether it's retirement plans, whether it's uh, voluntary deferred comp plans, is there something else out there? Or do we have business owners who might be interested in selling their business or acquiring another business? Have you leveraged Raymond James Investment Banking, had conversations with our teams to understand what does that take? So if I'm an advisor today, uh, number one, uh, how do we become more efficient, expand our capacity, deliver a better client experience for our clients? We've heard more and more about tax efficiency. We've heard more about ESG and cl our clients are certain clients sensitive to environmental impact, social impact, political impact. Have we had those conversations with clients that we ask them about that? That's an easy way from my perspective to deepen an existing client relationship. Uh, and maybe there's, maybe there's money somewhere else that they haven't told you about, or maybe they have friends who they would refer to you if they knew you provided that service. And uh, so those are, those are two areas where if I'm an advisor today, this has nothing to do with whether interest rates are going up or down or equities are going up and down. This is simply an evaluation of how well are we doing in delivering the experience that we're delivering and how could we be better at it how do we expand our capacity without necessarily adding more people to the team? And how do we deepen existing relationships and, and go identify new potential relationships that may come about if we offer additional services that today we're not, we're not offering? Great. Okay. That's, that's tremendous. Um, yeah. Efficiency, deepening client relationships. I think that's something that advisors tend to miss, right? They just tend to I don't know. They they tend to miss that stuff. And then, you know, when you say deepen the client relationship with other services, I think the the uh has a some advisors think it's like a oh, you're upselling them or you're you're trying to sell them something else. But the reality is they're gonna they're gonna use those services whether they get them from you or somebody else. That's right. Here's a really basic example, Frank, and and uh for the advisors who are listening, they might they might just say duh. But I don't see it as frequently as I would expect. And for a client who has contributed to 529 plans for children, for grandchildren, once those children are in college or just graduated from college, well, they don't need the 529 anymore, but what they might need is a Roth IRA, or they might need an IRA, depending on what they're doing for a living. And why not take that same amount of money that you were putting into the 529 and start building a retirement plan for that child or for that grandchild and start the connection with that next generation or two generations away by getting that IRA opened and now that beneficiary is now your client as well or the beneficiary of the IRA, the IRA account owner, 
uh, is now your client as well. And that's an easy way to reach that next generation if that's not something advisors are doing. And I think uh, advisors would say, well, yeah, of course, that that makes sense. But then when I look to see how many are actually doing it, not as many as I would think. Yeah, right. Which is a common theme. So, yeah. Um, so just uh, wrapping up here, and I, just two questions. Well, there's one question, but two different examples, right? If you were to look at the the industry as a whole, financial services, wealth management, uh, what is the one one thing that worries you the most? That's maybe you know coming down the tracks, DOL or whatever. Um, and then, what is the one thing that gets you the most excited about what's happening within uh, within our industry today? The one thing that that probably worries me the most, fingers crossed that we're in a good position as an as a as an industry, is the uh, Department of Labor regarding uh, independent contractor status and what is going to happen in Washington. Will we actually get a carve out for independent contractors who are registered with broker dealers? I sincerely hope the answer to that question is yes. These people are running their own businesses. We have industry rules that we all have to abide by. If they're registered with us, we simply have to enforce those rules. And I don't think that that should in any way jeopardize uh, their ability to run their businesses as independent business owners and as independent contractors of the broker-dealer. So uh, near term, that's probably the one from a regulatory perspective that has the greatest concern, as my greatest concern, uh, about what's potentially out there. The other regulation best interest, the other rules that are out there that we're all managing through, I feel pretty good about that. And uh, the position that we're in right now, I think if advisors are focused on doing doing what's best for their clients uh, and documenting what they're doing, uh, I don't think that's one that uh, people should be worried about at this point. And what are you most excited about? There are so many efficiency opportunities out there from a technology perspective, ways to connect with uh, clients in, in different ways and help them. I'm really excited about uh, how we can continue helping advisors be better at what they do, be more efficient in how they deliver. But when I think about the number of advisors retiring relative to the number of advisors coming into our business, there's a big imbalance. We talked about succession planning but for someone who's earlier in their career in our business, they're going to have to be more efficient and have to have greater capacity than the advisors of today, the advisors of 10 years ago. And in order to create that additional capacity, they're going to have to leverage all the technology tools uh, or as many of the technology tools as they can get their, get their hands on and get their team to utilize. To me, that's really exciting. Uh, I, I expect long after I'm retired and you're retired, the average advisor is going to have a much larger, on average, asset base, client base than what we have today, because there just won't be as many advisors as we have today. Right. I hope my wife's listening to that because you said when I retire and we have those conversations that she doesn't believe I'll ever retire, but um, I said, I'll just work differently. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> there will be a day. Yeah. Anyway, listen, that was that was that was tremendous. Uh, we can go on for hours, but I think that uh, you know we covered a lot of stuff there, which is tremendous. I thank you very much. If an advisor is listening to this podcast and wants to get in contact with someone at Raymond James, obviously they can go through me if they wanted to. But let's just say they wanted to go direct. Uh, what's the best best way to uh, to reach Raymond James? The best way is just go to the website RaymondJames.com and I identify the appropriate link there and. That will connect you to 
advisor consulting group, and the advisor consulting group will hopefully uh, pretty shortly reach out with a phone call or at least an email and begin a conversation. Awesome. And as always, they can uh, they can you can email me at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. And I'm happy to have you talk to one of one of our consultants. We're north of 60, uh, 60 consultants strong here. So uh, I'm sure we can help you out. This was tremendous uh, for for the our new listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're a first time listener, you picked a good one to listen to. So Scott, thank you very much. It's been a blast. It's been been an honor really working with you for uh, for a long, long time. Um, I started my company in 2011, and Raymond James was our was my first contract. Uh, Dennis Sank and Tosh Elwin and Tom Walren and uh, you know and uh, Jody and you, right? I mean. Like I owe a lot to you guys. I, I, the foundation of my firm today was was built with Raymond James. So I really appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. It's been a great relationship and uh, hopefully we'll keep it going. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, Scott. Appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, Frank. Take care. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.